Welcome to iTalk. For Brookside Optometric Group, I'm Brent Critchfield. As each of us age, our eyes change, and eye care for senior adults is very different than it is for younger people. In this episode, Dr. Bob Melrose and Dr. Linda Sue from Brookside Optometric Group will discuss the special considerations that older people should be aware of. If you're approaching your senior years or caring for a senior adult, this conversation should be pretty helpful. Later, we'll talk with Dr. John Dempshire about a new book he's just published on seeing faces in objects, like nature, food, and even wine corks. We'll also discuss his medical missions trips to provide eye care in underserved countries, and how that has led to some misunderstandings with border authorities. You won't want to miss that one. But first, here's Dr. Bob Melrose with what's new in eye care. There are some new uh, therapies coming out related to the treatment of dry macular degeneration. I'm talking doctor words, so I apologize for that. But people have heard about macular degeneration now. And there are two forms, the wet and the dry. And in the past, the wet form is a very active form. It's caused by changes in the retina that they now have medications they can combat. But the dry form was just more of a general aging process, almost like hair turning gray. And there wasn't much we could do for it except watch our patients slowly lose their vision. Well, there are two medications that are being looked at right now. They are injectables, but they are being looked at now to see if they can create a uh, treatment that will prevent the further onset of dry macular degeneration. Both of these medications are in late-stage trials with the FDA, and we should know more in about a year or so whether or not they'll be able to be put on the market. But for the first time, we have something that is promising to help us treat this other aspect of macular degeneration where we couldn't do anything about it before. As our bodies age, we experience changes throughout the body, and the eyes are no exception. Conditions like cataracts, glaucoma, and macular degeneration are big, scary subjects that can be confusing and frightening for anyone. Dr. Melrose recently sat down with Brookside's Dr. Linda Sue and had a conversation about the special eye conditions that we see in our senior patients. I'm here today with Dr. Linda Sue, our partner at Brookside Optometric Group, and we're going to be talking about eye care for seniors. So Linda, what are some of the things we look at when we're taking care of our senior population? As we all mature, as I like to call it, there are a different set of um, things we should do as we get more mature. We are older, we get more exposure to things like UV light. We want to protect our eyes as well as our skin. As we get older, just like we want to take care of our bodies, same goes with our eyes. We want to get good sleep for our bodies. We want to get and rest our eyes just as well. We have a busy work day. We are uh, constantly at work. We're trying to squeeze everything in. We want to think about nutrition as well. Think about um, our habits in front of the computer. What should we do to prevent our eyes from tiring? Things like glasses to help our eyes from fatiguing, especially special anti-reflection coatings on our glasses. As you know, as we mature, we won't be seeing as well for our close-up vision. So we always want to come in, do your annual eye exams, make sure we've got the right prescription for our eyes instead of going to those over-the-counter drugstore glasses. Now, Linda, uh, with 
with the aging population, what type of health things are we looking for with them? Definitely uh, what medications they are and what systemic problems they may be dealing with. As we get older, high blood pressure and diabetes are more common. Those things can affect the health of the eye, and there's lots of things we can do to try to minimize the effects of the, um, the side effects of those diseases to the eye. Now, how do we, uh, for the people listening, what types of things do we do in the exam to detect those types of things? So when you come in, of course, we always assess your vision. But besides that, there is a lot of excellent technology we can use to take a look at the back of the eye. The most advanced that I really like uh, to do on my patients is called the OptoMap. It's easy. There's uh, no downtime with the dilation of the drops. And more importantly, it's something that the patient can see and actually visualize what's going on with the eye and get a better idea of what they eat and their disease affects their eye. Now, with the OptiMap, you have a permanent record then of the condition of the retina, is that right? Yes. So it's always attached to their chart. So every time they come in, we can compare it to the last one they did, see if there's any subtle changes. So it's really an excellent way for even a healthy adult to do on a regular basis to make sure that their eyes don't develop any issues that may go undetected. Now also with the aging population, uh, retinal issues are more common in our adult population or our senior population. What uh, types of things are we looking for with the OptiMap for those? Uh, bleeding, probably the most uh, common complication is fluid accumulation in the retina, whether that's bleeding from the blood vessels, whether that's fluid leakage from the uh, layers underneath the, uh, the blood vessels, whether it's detachments, whether it's holes, any of those things in the retina can cause uh, issues with our vision and can go undetected if you don't come in regularly. Now, I've often uh, told my patients that the um, health changes with the eyes, the problems that we have with the eyes, in a way are like blood pressure. Many of them you don't feel. People don't feel like they have high blood pressure. People don't feel like they have issues when they have some of these uh, health concerns. Is that true with the eyes also? Oh, yes. So that's what probably one of the downfalls is you don't know when you have a problem with the eye because you have two eyes. So if one eye goes south, the other eye automatically takes over. So unless you're the habit of checking each eye individually, many problems can go undetected for a long period of time. And of course, if we wait until those problems occur, isn't it like waiting to find out if you have the stroke to uh, determine if you have high blood pressure? The right, right, right. So unfortunately, these diseases, the first signs often are not in the eyes. You often have other problems showing up before it gets to your eyes. So that's why it's important for just early detection to come in. I often educate my high-risk patients to check their eyes individually sit in front of the television, you watch the news once a week, your favorite TV program, go ahead and cover each eye individually to make sure that it sees the same as it did the last time you checked. Easy test, quick detection. Now, also too, there's problems with, as you get older, uh, glaucoma, cataracts, things like that. Is that right? Yes, yes. Now, cataracts are very common. Unfortunately, we all love the sun. 
We don't always wear the proper sunglasses, which should be, by the way, sunglasses with 100% UV protection. You have to remember a lot of those designer frames, lenses may not have that. They just look nice, but the lenses may not be of best quality. So you always want to double check wherever you buy your glasses from. Make sure they have 100% UV to protect your eyes against cataract formation. And with macular degeneration, that's becoming more and more of a topic. Are there uh, things that our uh, senior population can do to try to avoid getting macular degeneration? Yes, definitely. So um, macular degeneration, one of the things we can't, one of the um, uh, contributions to that is genetics. So if, if your family or you know someone in the family that has it, that does put you one up on the list. If your no family uh, has any sort of eye issues, you want to do things like eating well. Um, a lot of uh, the antioxidants, lutein's that we need, unfortunately, come in the lovely uh, green vegetables we don't always like. So supplementation with an eye vitamin can be helpful, but you want to please consult your eye doctor before you start any of that. And is there one of the eye vitamins that you recommend uh, over the others? Um, there are plenty of over-the-counter vitamins. It, it does get very confusing. One of the ones I highly recommend is the Bauchelon Preservation. It follows a long-term study on the eye and macular degeneration, the AREDS-2 study, that's A-R-E-D-S-2 study, easily available over the counter. That's something that someone can pick up easily and start uh, taking and follow the directions on the bottle. So a reasonably priced way to yeah, give yourself a little extra protection as opposed to just uh, waiting for this to happen to you. Correct, correct. And um, another source to get these vitamins too is your local health food store. They have different formulations. You just want to do your due diligence and kind of double check ingredients, making sure you're not overlapping if you do take a multivitamin also. Now cataracts, I often tell my patients that cataracts, if, you have, if you're lucky enough to live long enough, you're going to get a cataract. Uh, most people, by the time they're done with their 70s or early 80s, have had cataract surgery. Is that equally true with macular degeneration, or is that something that comes in with even later years than that? Um, macular degeneration actually can start a little bit later. Um, not everybody will get it, but macular degeneration can be visually more devastating. So you do want to be careful. There are things you can do too to help prevent changes to your macula as that is your point of precise vision in your eyes. Not smoking. Again, your UV protecting sunglasses. Again, doing, trying to eat a balanced, healthy diet. And of course, exercising. I mean body exercising, not eye exercises. Exercising for your body is going to increase oxygen blood flow to everywhere, including your eyes you want to do that as well. Remember one of my professors saying that most eye health problems are a sick eye and a sick body. And by keeping your body healthy, you're actually helping your eyes stay healthy too. Yes, definitely. So, and as we mature, we all start thinking about trying to get outside, exercising more, even a simple walk down around your block. It doesn't have to be anything uh, over, uh, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to overexert yourself. A simple walk around the block. You don't have to become a gym rat. That's good. Exactly. <laughs> so basically for our seniors, we're looking at stay healthy, eat well, get good sleep, do all the things that you've been told all your lives will help you live a longer and healthier life. 
And that will turn into you not only having a longer and healthy life, but seeing everything a lot longer and healthier. Is that right? Perfect. Yep. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate your time today. And we hope that our seniors out there learned a little bit from this. And I appreciate your time. Thank you, Bob. We've all had that moment where we're staring at a cloud or a rock or our breakfast cereal and suddenly think, that looks like someone's face. Well, Dr. John Dempster has been so fascinated by this phenomenon that he wrote a book about it. So in preparation for that book's release this summer, he and Dr. Bob Melrose had a conversation. And if you want to hear how providing free medical care can result in you being mistaken for a drug runner, this interview should be a lot of fun. I'm here with my partner. I always will consider John my partner, uh, John Dempshire. Uh, John was instrumental in the uh, creation of the Brookside Optometric Group and an incredible portion of our team for many, many years. He has since retired from optometry, but keeps himself busy with a whole lot of activities that are going on. He's been extremely active in uh, the city of Stockton, working with homeless situations here. He's been busy with uh, flying to various places throughout the world to deliver eye care. And in fact, due to all of his uh, philanthropic uh, adventures, there was a John Dempshire Day by the state named after him. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on, too. But I've learned that John is also now an author because he has created a very interesting book. And so today we're going to talk about that book for him. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce the title because I will get it wrong. So, John, tell us about your book. Okay, Bob, uh, the title of the book is Pareidolia seeing faces in unusual places. Now, the term pareidolia is something that no one has ever heard of, at least anyone I've talked to. However, just about everyone has experienced this phenomenon. Pareidolia, and we'll read the definition right out of the book here, one of the first pages, from Merriam-Webster, is the tendency to perceive a specific, often meaningful image in a random or ambiguous visual pattern. So what this means, Bob, is that if you look at the clouds and see a face, or the side of a mountain, see a face, or a tree, or even this uh, granite counter we're sitting at here, you can see faces. So just about everybody's experienced that. And uh, I've been doing this probably for 30 years. I've got a collection of corks that goes back that far. We used to... uh, be out having dinner with someone and we'd open a bottle of wine and I'd start looking for the face in the cork and people would look at me like, you must be weird. And I'd show them the face and they'd chuckle. And so I've been doing this forever. My kids used to think I was a little bit nuts. In fact, uh, they made fun of me. And about five years ago, my oldest son, Jonathan, sent me an article from Carl Sagan, the cosmologist, indicating that pareidolia was used, and I'm going to see if I can find that quote here. There it is right there. So Carl Sagan, the American author and cosmologist, made the case that pareidolia was a survival tool. In his 1995 book, The Demon-Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark, he argued that this ability to recognize faces from a distance or in poor visibility was an important survival technique. In other words, that prehistoric man walking down the trail, if he had the ability, if he had the pareidolia ability 
to see a couple of eyes in the bushes, he could avoid that bush before the lion come out and ate him up. So that's one of the, the, the quotes there in the book. Uh, another quote, which uh, once my son sent me this Carl Sagan quote, that's what stimulated me to start looking at doing this book. But anyway, uh, this quote is, Pareidolia was once thought to be a symptom of psychosis, but is now recognized as a normal human tendency. Some of us are more prone to it than others, so consider seeing faces in inanimate objects as a sign of an evolutionary well-adapted brain. Well, so I have a well-adapted brain, Bob. Well, that, that, that's good to go from uh, being a little loony and nuts to having a well-adapted brain. I would say that's quite a positive move. Yeah. So uh, the book will be available on our website, which is seeingfacesinplaces.com. Uh, it'll be available after the 25th on the 31st of July from 5 to 7 in the evening. We're having a book signing event here in my backyard on Lake Lincoln. So all are welcome. There's no obligation to buy the book, but it would be great to come by and see what this book's all about. Uh, most people who have looked at this book, uh, it really piques your interest in this phenomenon. Well, I will say that... Uh prior to sitting down and turning on the microphones and all that, we, uh, you showed me uh, the, the contents of the book. And it's absolutely, it's beautiful for one thing, but it absolutely just makes you smile. You can't help but not. Yeah, now the book is divided into three sections. We have a section on environment, which is seeing faces in like trees or mountains, uh, a section on corks, wine corks, uh, tequila bottle corks, and the third section is the food and beverage section. Now, in the process of putting this book together, we, there were so many changes we had to make. We, put the, we had the food section up front. And as my son and I looked at it, my son has been very helpful with the book because of his computer savvy. He says, Dad, he goes, a lot of these food photos are like half-eaten meals. And he says, I think that maybe that might be offensive to some people. So let's move the environmental section first, get people interested in the subject. And then we'll go into corks, which, you know, everybody likes wine. And uh, then we'll move to the food at the very last. And by then, people will be very accepting of this whole concept. And uh, so that's what we did. So if someone is trying to become a junior Paragolia person, you'd recommend they get a picnic lunch, pop in a bottle of wine, and go for a nice walk in nature and see what happens. Oh, you're just going to have a whole host of things. You can see faces in the courts. You'll see faces in the trees and the clouds and the mountains. Uh, I've actually had people who uh, call them my disciples now, where I've been on a vision trip, and we're walking down the street, and they'll come up to me and they'll say, Doc, come and check this photo out. I mean, this, this picture, I mean. We look at it, and I go, yeah, that's pretty good, man. That's like a 7 on a scale of 1 to 10. So it piques their interest, and they they run around looking for, for faces <laughs> so that they can impress me. And the book has probably uh, five or six photos from disciples who have sent me pictures over the last several years. Uh, several from my sons who, on a regular basis, 
at least twice a week I get photos from them. So we're constantly getting photos, looking at the potential of putting them in the book. Of course, the book is being printed right now, so no more new photos, but we're looking at possibly doing something with book two. And we might even ask for uh, audience participation, you know, in a greater degree than we oh, did. Very, very the cool. Original book. Yeah. So as you're with your sons and you're looking at these pictures with faces in them, are all the spouses giving faces back at you guys behind your back? Oh, yeah, they're giving faces at us, yeah. <laughs> Originally, they'll actually give us a face that they photograph, but they give us the faces looking yeah. back. And the funny thing is I've experienced less of that strange face look recently because I've actually tripped across a subject that is extremely fascinating. Uh, everyone that's looked at the, the prototype book that I've had uh they, they, they laugh. It's funny. And I think this would be a great addition to any coffee table, especially if you're going to have a function where people are over. Uh, you know, you, you go to a lot of these functions and you see people showing pictures on, on uh, their cell phones. Well, look at this, look at that, look at this. Well, now they can pick this book up and argue over which is the best photo or maybe there are several photos in here that have two or three photos in the picture. Very cool. And uh, they can probably argue over which is the real photo. Excellent. No, it's it's a wonderful book. Uh, I'm going to buy a copy, of course. Uh, the event should be outstanding, too. Uh, we'll have this up on our website and on our Facebook pages to let people know about it also over at BrooksideOptometricGroup.com uh, and on Facebook at Brookside Optometric Group. But also, John, you, uh, you're also doing some work with the homeless, and you've done an awful lot of... Uh, uh, Flying Samaritans, isn't that right? Flying Samaritans, yeah. two groups. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, too. Yeah. About 30 years ago, I started working with the Flying Samaritans group, flying into San Felipe, Baja, uh, doing that twice a year for the last 30 years. And then uh, in 2000, I hooked up with a group called Lions in Sight. It's an offshoot of Lions International. And we do trips all over the world, mostly Mexico, but we've been as far as India, Serbia, Armenia. Uh, so lots of exotic places. Uh, it's been exciting. It's fun to give back to people, to help people out. And uh, about the time I started doing this 30 years ago, I started volunteering at the St. Mary's Homeless Shelter, where I do exams uh, twice a month. And so this keeps me very busy. For the last two years, we've been grounded, so to speak, with the pandemic. But we did just recently make a trip to Baja. We're working on a computerized inventory for our glasses so that we can find glasses much quicker and be more accurate in the glasses that people get. So we're constantly trying to improve on these programs, make it better for the patients we serve. And so that keeps me extremely busy. So retirement, uh, I'm busier now than I was when I used to work at Brookside. And I'm not surprised by that. Uh, two things that... Uh have uh, always amazed me with the with the Flying Samaritan groups and your work and all that is one the uh, the fact that you were grounded for a bit might turn out well because you were kind of looked at like a, like a potential drug runner I think for a while because you had so many trips to Mexico that the Mexican authorities were uh, the border were going how come you're always coming down here flying in and flying out that must have been an odd thing to have to explain away yes I did get flagged once uh, and somehow I got mixed up as being a Serbian terrorist 
And that well, was you, you kind of look like a, a Serbian too. So. On their part, however, <laughs> the uh, Homeland Security doesn't let anything get by them. And I was on a no-fly list for a while, and it took me several months and several conversations with Homeland Security to get my name off of that list. But I'm still, I still have a control number that I have to enter in whenever I fly now uh, that says that, that I'm okay. Interesting. So sadly, this is one of those times where no good deed goes unpunished. Okay. So, <laughs> and um, I've also just always been amazed. You have always been so consistent and uh, solid in your uh, work with the community and whatnot. Uh, I think you really inspired the other doctors at the Prixoptometric group to do this. And it, and when people hear of you, when they, when they might be listening to this and saying, okay, you're going down and getting glasses to people, many of these people, this is it. This is the one pair they're going to have in their lifetime. Isn't that right? Yeah, there are places we've been to, especially in India, where people had never even seen a doctor of any kind. And you put a pair of glasses on someone who can't see far away or close up for the first time, and these people take for granted that they can't see their fingers, fingerprints on their hand anymore. And all of a sudden you put the glasses on and they see it and they have absolutely no idea how this magic could happen. And the same thing goes for the distance. So yeah, I've got tons of stories I could tell. Not, not today, of course, but, it, but it's amazing the uh, response we get from the patients we see. It's a good reminder just... Uh... If, if you think that your life is uh, difficult because the sunroof on your BMW is stuck, uh, maybe look a little bit farther beyond your nose and realize that the simple things that we take for granted, clean water, electricity, being able to see your hand uh, with a pair of glasses you got from your optometrist, things like that, these are blessings that so many people in the world never have an opportunity to experience that we, we forget that very quickly these days. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming in and letting us talk to you a bit. We can't wait to uh, have the uh, party happen for the book. We will be there, of course, and appreciate it. Yeah, one last thing. Uh, every year we have an annual fundraiser in my backyard here. It's called Summerfest. We've been doing it for, it'll be 11 years this year, and we raise roughly $16,000 for the uh, vision groups and the St. Mary's Homeless Shelter split up evenly. All proceeds go directly to these nonprofits. And so uh, this year it'll be September 11th from 3 to 7 in the afternoon. Uh, tickets are probably going to be about, about $40, but we'll be getting information out very quickly. But uh, that's another great event that we support every year. And thank you for reminding me. No, Summerfest is always a very, very fun time because along with uh, John's other activities, he also uh, distills his own tequila. Actually blends. Blends his own tequila. This distillery is illegal. You didn't hear that anywhere. Chief Jones, it, it didn't happen here. Yeah, just, yeah, just one of my other projects that I do. There you go. <laughs> my wife says, you got to stop coming up with this stuff, John. <laughs> we have a life outside of what you do. But it's always exciting in the Dempster yes. household. So yeah. Yeah. we'll be looking for Summerfest also. We will be uh, letting people know about that on our Facebook page and our website also. And John, I don't care how many years you're away from uh, Brooks and Optometrics, seeing patients on a day-to-day -day basis, I will always consider you my partner and my friend. Same here, Bob. Okay. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you, Bob. Thank you.
that's it for this episode of iTalk. We'll be back with another episode soon, but in the meantime, we'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Or you can find it on our website at brooksideoptometric.com. We'd also invite you to visit us on Facebook or Instagram, where you can stay up to date on everything that's happening in the office, as well as receive eye care tips and information. Thanks for joining us. And on behalf of all of us at Brookside Optometric Group, we hope you can see well, be well, and thrive. Thank you.